This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host and an android that dreams of electric sheep. It's Hank. Fiery, the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their shoes, burning with the fires of Orc, or some shit like that. What? <laughs> it's a Blade Runner quote. That's not, no, 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 do the Rugger Hauer soliloquy. That's the only quote people know. Uh, I don't know what that quote is. Do another I've one. I've seen things. There we go. Things that's that's you right. People couldn't imagine. Sea beams glittering off the Tannhauser Gate. I've Attack ships on fire. Seen All these things lost, like tears. And Time to do death Attack by Attack ships on fire. I watched sea beams glittering the dark in Tannhauser Gate. somehow see i was happy to go with the the fiery the angels fell that was a good quote that's one of my favorites but whatever i'm a simpleton and i pay attention to the wrong details of the movie it was a great scene there's though. only one quote from blade runner and it's harrison ford going huh? 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 when he gets punched in the face because he does that in every movie that guy takes a punch in the face like nobody's business it's floppy mouth I relished learning the fact that during the filming of Blade Runner 2049, he punched Ryan Gosling in the face, and something just felt good about that. Finally, he got to serve it back to somebody else. Ryan Gosling's got one of those faces that just, I don't know, you want to hit it. Smack you want to hit Ryan Gosling? Yeah, a little don't bit. Don't hit the handsome face. It's, I mean, Drive's good. I like him. He's a very handsome guy. He just, it's, he's too handsome. It's like uh, Jared Leto in Fight Club. You just want to beat the shit out of something that that's, that's so beautiful. You know, you can't you can't let guys like that and Jason Alexander walk around this earth with their beautiful faces. I will give Ryan Gosling this. That dude has done wonders to controlling his career. I mean, he's done some, like, a couple of pieces of trash, but he mostly just works with, like, interesting filmmakers and makes weird, interesting movies. 
for the most part. I like I'm no fan of La La Land, but it's a it's definitely like a choice to make. It's like hey, I'm going to be in this weird musical. Hey, I'm going to be in this uh, Nicholas Winding Refn movie about fucking a guy obsessed with his own hands and masturbation and weird stuff in Thailand. I think something that's really risky is a career move to be in a sequel almost 40 years after the movie came out that is incredibly beloved by fans to the extent that they you know, rage and boycott things and can completely ruin and get it taken out of control. And uh, he stepped up and really kind of served everybody justice with Blade Runner 2049 and if you haven't figured it out we're talking about Blade Runner in general tonight just uh, both of them uh, all sorts of stuff I'm sure it's going to get philosophical and we'll uh, maybe argue about different types of robots and why they don't matter at all but they're not robots <laughs> they're all robots it does, I, anything a toaster is a robot anything that just is shiny is the a replicants. robot Repli- skin jobs replicants I guess that's yes. a racial slur that it's inferred that uh, a skin job is a very offensive thing that you could call them because you don't want to hurt their robot feelings. But they're like they're mostly biological. They're not just like because robot indicates like the Terminator or something. It's not really what it is. There's a whole well, lot of he's made out of flesh too, so he's definitely a cyborg. But yes, he's a well, not really because his brain is not is not wetware. It's a computer brain. So I wouldn't consider him a cyborg as much as just a robot with human flesh. Well, the Mark 13 then from something we recently discussed hardware, that's definitely wetware. It's organic and something very similar to, I guess, Blade Runner. It's grown specifically for the cause. And where you're going into things is, yeah, there is no robotics. It's not like Bishop from Aliens. When they're hurt, they bleed because everything is specifically grown. And it definitely has the ideas and, um, you know, the sentiment of, like, computer chips being created and hand-manufactured or even something like microphones that, for the most part, are still handmade. Every single piece that goes into this is bioengineered, farmed uh, in some form of another to be created and pieced into this puzzle. So the eyes, the kidneys, the lips, absolutely all of it is is flesh and created, hence the uh, slur skin job. But for the most part... There's nothing there, and that's where the problem truly comes into it because they don't know how to handle their emotions because they don't really have them. Well, I mean, they well, once you get to 2049, they actually kind of start having emotions, but at the same... Because what Blade Runner essentially is about is the essence and nature of life. If we've created this life, this somewhat robotic-style life, or kind of life, is that considered still life? And where we are moving forward in our future currently is people messing with shit like artificial intelligence. And if we create an artificial intelligence, is that life? Is it an actual life? I mean, if people say, you know, all lives matter, some bullshit, like, well, does that count AI at this point? Because technically AI is alive. It's making its own decisions, but it wasn't made by any sort of biological quote-unquote god or nature it was created by man in itself but man controlling nature to con- or, uh, to come up with something new could that be considered life and does it have a right to live and a right to exist and that's essentially what blade runner is about is kind of a comment on like slavery and uh uh i mean i guess it's actually applicable to today of just I mean, in Blade Runner, the the skin jobs, the replicants, are considered second-class citizens. They are. People consider them to be just kind of these man-made 
things that they can do whatever they want to with, but do they have life and do they have a right to live and a right to human rights? Are they considered human? Very important questions and all very philosophically stimulating. And for me personally, it was strange that they decided to make a Blade Runner sequel almost 40 years later, but at the same time, what they ended up with, I was happy with, with Blade Runner 2049. Um, they gave it to a, the correct director to do it, and he made a beautiful, somewhat homage to the original. I mean, it does have somewhat of its own style, but he kept a lot of the things that worked. He kept a lot of the uh, the tone. He kept uh, a lot of uh, how the music sounds. It um, It's almost... Does Evangelist do the score of Blade Runner 2049? I don't remember. I know he's I'm, involved. I'm really not sure, but there definitely has to be a lot of involvement because a lot of the same tunes and the tears and rain and uh, some of the love themes are used throughout the movie. And yeah, I mean, Denny Villeneuve was able to do a sequel that felt right. It felt like a sequel. And it felt like a sequel made like 40 years later. It didn't feel like this... Like we're just we're we're gonna do kind of the same thing, but we're gonna put new actors in it. And we're gonna we're gonna start a whole world. It's like no no no. He respected the original. It has its homages, but it has the same tone and the same feel as the original Blade Runner. Not quite as dark, not quite as like cyberpunk, I would say, but it, it feels a lot more human to me. Uh, it's Denny more Dillon dystopic. I, feel. I mean, I definitely think how the world has changed, and you've got this uh, showing that there's dust all over everything, and like street movers or street sweepers that come and blow it out, that the world and the economy and, and our safety and the environment has completely all collapsed upon itself. Um, weird reference, but it almost reminds me a little bit more of Highlander 2, the the weird, I mean, there's no huge red, I mean, there isn't one scene, you've got that weird red hue when he goes to Las Vegas, but it's just got that feeling of, everything's gone to shit so much, we had to put a weird force field around the atmosphere, because we burned it the fuck out, and nothing's good anymore, and you learn at the beginning of the movie that pretty much the rise of replicants returning is because uh, the, the farming market pretty much went out and the world went so sour that they couldn't do anything anymore but bioengineer and create different sources of protein. And the new Tyrell Corporation is run by a man who is responsible for coming up and engineering how that we can replicate and do new foods and new protein. But quickly going back to the, the replicants, one of the things I always thought was really interesting is when Tyrell created them, they didn't initially have the memories. And I think this is one of the key things to what's, I think, the most upsetting about the replicants in their own nature is that um, when they didn't have memories, they just became very chaotic and they didn't know how to deal with things in their emotions. So his resolve to that was uh, giving them these fake memories, instilling them from other people, his niece for one example, and then giving them a four-year lifespan so they can't become emotional. But some of them end up becoming aware and then we go into Blade Runner or whatever. But the key to that is... The original creation, I guess, what, the Nexus 5 or something like that, it didn't have these memories. And that's where I think things really cross the line is giving something this false hope of reality. And then you move into 2049 where they are aware that their memories aren't fake. They've come complacent with the fact that they know nothing's real and it doesn't seem to bother them. That they're sheerly entertained by supposedly living and working. And again, we talked about that whole idea with the Nazis and the concentration camps and the big signs saying, you know, work is freedom. You'll everything will be perfect if you just work really hard. The whole concept of just designing these things for nothing more than, in some essences, uh, just pettiness. You know, some are sex models, some are 
given these memories for what? Just the pleasure and the sheer happiness of organic man? Well, with memories, you can um, there's almost a sense of control if you give them some sort of memories, something that they can lose. And you can control somebody if they have a sense of possibly losing something. Um, but that also begs the question of giving them even memories that belong to someone else. Have you reincarnated a living human being as someone else now? Because they have almost like, because memories and things that happen to his creator personalities. So if you give a skin job, a replicant, someone else's memories, the exact same memories as someone else, does it become that person? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I mean, hypothetically, I guess you could interchange things. I mean, let's say your wife or significant other died. I guess you could just buy a replicant made with her memories if they had them on file. I mean, I don't know how you would... Uh, these are all hypothetical questions, really, because not any of it's really uh, expounded upon. I mean, maybe in the literature and the uh, the prequel animes that there's some knowledge of to this, but however they get these memories, I mean, you're shown in 2049 that they're made, that they're engineered like software by somebody, but beforehand with the Tyrell Corporation, it's just up, up in the air. You find out one of the lead character's memories come from Tyrell's niece, so he has, there's some way of doing it, I mean... We're dealing with something that, despite it being last fucking year, is in a completely different universe and world. So you've got to kind of let go of reality. And, you know, Blade Runner is, I don't know, things went different in the 80s. Maybe Atari never went out of business, and that's why uh, the Blade Runner world is so different. But you got to let reality drop away with it. So all these precursors, all these things with uh, the early Tyrell Corporation, we find out are lost completely in 2049, that there was a blackout. And all of the data and metadata and all the information that wasn't written down is just completely wiped away. So all the secrets to uh, furthering the Nexus models and pretty much everything. I mean, banks, uh, uh, people's debt, your college debt, all of that just completely lost. And the world went into 10 days of darkness and then things returned as a, a new corporation kind of took over. Which it's, it's some of the most mundane aspects, I think, of the story is trying to give more of a personality to the environment. And what you were making a notion is, you know, how it's a little bit less cyberpunk, but at the same time, I really like how, uh, I think, more dystopic it's looked. You've got a much, you know, everyone's cramped into these tiny quarters and no one seems very happy and all the societies seem incredibly mixed and everything is very dirty and it just seems like humans have been pushed into little sardine boxes. As to where, yeah, Blade Runner has that feeling, but it seems like there's much more freedom. It seems like there's much more blissful ignorance and being... Uh, consumed by technology and not worrying about things. But then again, in the first movie, things like uh, replicants were, I guess, somewhat new. I mean, there's obviously Blade Runners. It's a, a job that has to hunt them down. But we don't know a time frame of when this technology became, I don't know, in vogue. Well, like getting into the original Blade Runner, what I find somewhat amazing about that film is how it pays off at the end. Because... The general setup we are given is a rogue bunch of replicants, and we have to hunt them down. And gradually throughout the film, until we get to the uh, the, uh, the ultimate climax with Roger Howard, is that we always looked at them as being a villain, and we went Harrison Ford to catch them. And then really Scott was able to completely flip that on its head at the end and realize that Harrison Ford's really been a villain kind of this whole movie, and the replicants are literally just wanting life. 
I guess it's and a matter wanting... of perspective, really, when it comes to being a Blade Runner fan, because even as a teenager to now, I've always taken... It doesn't matter which version you're watching, the theatrical cut, the final cut, the director's cut, the whatever cut. I've always, from the very start, had sympathy for the replicants. And you're, exp- I mean, and I feel you're given the explanation right off the bat why you should feel bad for them, that they've been lied to, they've become aware that they've been lied to, and all they want to do is talk to the guy in charge. Now, they killed a lot of people. It happens, but at the same time, that's usually just called collateral damage. A bunch of replicants are killed. It doesn't seem to matter to anyone. So that goes back to your question of, you know, do all lives matter in this instance or do replicant lives not? Why give them the idea they have a soul and memories if you're not going to let them actually live that way? Yes, and what changes, I think, in 2049 is our main character at this point is a replicant and we're dealing with kind of post slavery and almost a a modernity of where replicants eventually went, which is no longer being such slave bots, like going off to other worlds to just do hard labor and stuff. They're actually involved in, I mean the police force, but they're still not looked upon as real human beings. They're farmed that way. They're literally made to be specialists in their field. So, I mean, imagine being a human working this And discriminated against. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's where the point is, though, that you have to have the imagination of being a human in this world and a replicant being made and giving accolades and bonuses for doing something it's programmed to do. So you can see easily where xenophobia and hatred begins to form in in the cracks of things. And, like, in in the first Blade Runner, it's not... The skin job doesn't seem to be as much of a, a slur as, as it is just kind of a description as to what they are. There doesn't seem to be a lot of absolute hatred for them. But, I mean, after the, I mean, you got to imagine, too, like the president of a major company, if Elon Musk got killed by his own robot, like a literal robot, everyone would turn on that. It would be massive news. So when Tyrell gets wasted by his own creations, it's probably all over the world. So, you know, everyone at that point in time stood up and probably turned on the idea of them. And I guess at that point, the next model of Nexus was released. And that's where you go into 2049. They're hunting for the Nexus 8s because they changed it and they don't have the four-year lifespan. It's not really expounded upon heavily why they aren't as twitchy or why they're not angry. I mean, clearly they are, and they got a little bit more organized than Roy and his gang, but I don't know. I just don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's where you get involved in a lot of plot stuff. And I, personally, I'm less interested in plot um, things like what's happening You're a story between guy. the original Blade Runner and 2049. It's to me, it's the story we're trying to tell. And like at this moment, I don't like, because to me, the story is more about Ryan Gosling and his search to find his identity, thinking that he's special in some way that he's possibly this, uh, replicant human hybrid that was born or is he just what he like everybody says he is this created being i mean we ultimately find out at the end what he is and that he was pretty much a patsy this entire time but i mean i think the interesting story isn't so much the search for uh what turns out to be deckard and rachel's um child it's his journey to find his own humanity and being this replicant as much as he doesn't want to be this replicant and he like it's the relationship between him and the hologram that i think is kind of the heart of the movie and what's really important and what says a lot about 
his character and this world that we're inhabiting is this love story of this, what is literally a program that he has fallen in love with. And as a replicant, these emotions that he has, and he has to kind of think real hard, do I really love this program, which is essentially what it is, this artificial intelligence? Are we even having our own thoughts, or is this just something that we're running through? And I think that's all too like all more important than where we're going about this uh, replicant rebellion and this rising up uh, and becoming its, you know, trying to become less of a second-class citizen is where we kind of go towards the end of the film. And Jared Leto's character of wanting to kind of control this, like, um, this, this chattel of replicants as workers and wanting them to, like, self-reproduce. So he just, he has a patent on, like, on human life almost, on this replicant life, this new kind of life. Which is interesting in itself, but I think it goes in a ton of different interesting places that aren't just this one plot. It's more the heart of the story that I'm interested in, the, the philosophy of what's going on in the Blade Runner universe. I think the first Blade Runner film has a certain amount of philosophy of the nature of life and what do we what we consider to be life, but I think that gets expounded upon in 2049 and becomes all more the center of attention and way more interesting and less of less of like an action film and more of just philosophic in nature i think the question or i think more human than human is expounded upon much further and is sort of the basis of what blade runner 2049 is and it's something that's echoed from the first movie uh, tyrell corporation's motto more human than human but that's truly the next stage of evolution and what's been realized they created the nexus eights who don't have the four-year lifespan most of them have gone into hiding after the blackout, and outside of Blade Runners, a lot of the Nexus 9s are now used to hunt them down. And you've got this idea that they're happy, I guess. They live just like humans, they intermingle with us, but clearly there's discrimination against them, and they have memories that they're aware are fake, and they become complacent, which is somewhat confusing to, it's almost just like the acceptance of nothing truly matters. It's uh, not so much nihilistic, but I guess more like... Author Schopenhauer's concept of nothing really mattering, but nothing is being everything at the same time. And the whole point with these Nexus 8s is if something organic can be a miracle, as they say, created for man and machine or man and replicant, it's def it's more human than human now. It's the best of both worlds. It's got perfection, you know, like uh, the Nietzsche concept of the Ubermensch, Superman, the greatest being combined of all times. So the philosophy gets really, really deep, too, in that aspect. But you have almost a religious standpoint, like uh, Roy Batty pretty much says that they fell from the heavens and they were in the uh, you know off world. They were in space and they came back down to Earth to like the, the Nephilim to fight not necessarily fight but they wanted answers the nephilim were here to just kind of fuck things up uh, in christian mythology but they had a point to what they were doing the violence was definitely collateral and it's the reason they ended up being hunted down but all they wanted was an answer they needed to know about more life and why that this happened why would you do this to us and that isn't i think addressed heavily in 2049 the why the Ownership, And of course, like you had just mentioned and brought up, the ultimate idea here is, is slavery and is being able to have these slaves reproduce freely without worrying about constraint or market or parts or money. I mean, it would just absolutely change their world. This guy could become 
Alexander the Great pretty much. He would run. I mean, and it's essentially, I guess, b- believe he runs and owns everything, that everything is connected to his Well, company. he becomes a god. Yeah. I mean, it's Quite all, literally, he becomes a god. And I think... All technology is his at this point, pretty much. I think it's pretty telling, though, in 2049 that um, K has to basically give up this love that he has for this this hologram, this artificial intelligence, this hologram he has, which is basically programmed to love him back, but it doesn't matter to him. And he has to give that up. She has, to, And he literally drowns a character named fucking Love so he can get Deckard back to his daughter. And he sacrifices himself. And if it, that isn't more human than what is human, I don't know what is. And that kind of really explains where his character is. He may be a replicant and his memories may not be his, but at the same time, he does have value. He does have experience and he has um, selflessness because he has to kill love. Well, what did love take away from him? Because his hologram's name was joy. So that's the one thing that he had was his joy and joy in general and love took it away from him. But his uh, literal passion and love for not just his job, but doing the right thing. I mean, all of it's just weird red. And he has to sacrifice that. And if and if a replicant is able to sacrifice love. Doesn't that make it human? Isn't it like to make these choices to like to be selfless? enough to do these things to like really like basically end up killing yourself, which I mean, it's kind of up in the air. If K dies at the end or if he doesn't, I just assume he dies. I'm pretty sure we just see him die. I mean, I think that's that last scene with him is his, you know, uh, exit stage left. Everybody get off excellent omnes that he's gone. He's dead. Which I think is kind of an interesting idea again, because the original Blade Runner is the cyberpunk, very wet, very rainy cityscape. And, when you get to 2049, there's a lot of dust. There's a lot of um, there's like a an ocean river type like situation, and then there's fucking snow. There's snow in a Blade Runner film, and I think it's kind of beautiful. And I think that speaks to Denis Villeneuve's um, role. Like, what I'm interested in is his uh, version of Dune because I think he's going to take it to new heights. Because I think he's a very interesting director as far as just putting his heart. Um, and emotional tone into films for what essentially can be very basic ideas. Like even Arrival is a very basic idea, but he takes it to new heights by like infusing this emotional component to it. I would never like think that Blade Runner could be this emotional of an experience, but I, I find 2049 to be incredibly emotional. Whereas the first one is emotional at the end. This one is emotional all the way through, and we're really getting into the emotions of the characters. Oh, what is this? This replicant who is essentially not human and how much kind of emotion he has. But that's, I mean, that's where I take this. I I think the character of K is way more interesting than the character of uh, Decker in the original film. I feel the snow is almost a representation of like the inversions of the teardrops and rain. That, you know, snow is the crystallized pure version falling down to earth so these memories aren't so much lost anymore but they all had a a reason a layer that they all fell into place and these things aren't forgotten that they'll be remembered but again i could be reading into that a little well i mean if you notice um as she's creating memories right before deckard's daughter like um spoilers for all the blade yeah, we've said it like adults. two or three times. So at this point, I'm I'm just figuring if somebody's salty over us doing this, uh, <laughs> maybe you should listen to previous episodes of the show. We have to say it all the time, and it, it gets fucking strenuous. But it's it not gets like, annoying. Well, I I know a lot of 
people, uh, fans, I guess you could say, come into this uh, because we do at, at some point movie reviews. And we never really tell you if it's a movie review or it's a philosophy thing or we're just going to talk about the movie. So if you're coming into this looking for a straight up, you know, Ebert and Roper fucking review of Blade Runner, you've come to the wrong place and now you know what's happened and we're very sorry, but still watch it. It doesn't really matter. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to completely But like when off. Deckard meets her, what's she doing? She's in her room creating, you know, these these kind of visualized memories and she's creating snow. And meanwhile, he's outside dying in the snow. I mean, and that should that should kind of tell you the territory we're getting into here of what kind of is reality, who creates reality. Is she, I mean, she's basically a god as well. She's giving uh, memories to people. She's creating life experiences that people are remembering, her own life experiences to, uh, to a specific replicant at that. Um, so it's just, it's the nature of, it's the nature of like being alive, the nature of being uh what word am I fucking looking for? Cognizant. I mean, still, it's just that whole concept of more human than human all wrapped up into one thing that it's really looking at hu- like cannibal Holocaust. Who's the real cannibals? Who are the real humans though? I mean, everyone that you're shown that might be human kind of sucks and you start having more and more sympathy. I mean, to me, it's when I'm watching Blade Runner, the Ridley Scott Blade Runner, I understand Deckard, and I, I sympathize for him. He didn't want the job. He had quit. And he has he's already in a bad place and has to go after the replicants. But from from the beginning, from the inception, when Leon is shown doing the tortoise test, the, uh, the, the Voight-Kampf test. You're in a desert, walking along in the sand when all of a sudden... Is this the test now? Yes. You're in a desert, walking along in the sand when all of a sudden you look... What down. one? What? What desert? doesn't make any difference what desert is completely hypothetical but how come i'd be there maybe you're fed up maybe you want to be by yourself who knows you look down and you see a tortoise leon it's crawling towards tortoise you. what's that i sympathize with him i mean no matter, even if you're watching the director's count with that little golden eye flare, I feel it's easy to pick out who the replicants are and what's going on. And like when uh, Zora's killed, that she's shot through the back almost like her wings have been cut off. Going back to my Christian reference, or not even so much Christian, it's a bit more like William Blake. Um, you know, the angels fall to earth with Lucifer, and you know, taking Roy Batty as the the light bearer, trying to figure out what's gone wrong. Uh, there are a lot of weird. Um, I mean, it's not weird. There's just a lot of Christian references throughout it. Like, um, one character in Blade Runner has Methuselah disease, I believe, and it's causing him to pre-age. But we learned that, I mean, you don't know if it's a real thing or not, but Deckard's daughter has what, what Galatians disease or Galatians disorder. And pretty much Galatians comes from the Apostle Paul, who initially was it completely against uh you know Jesus and was his using his position to have the followers and recent Christian converts in his area arrested until he uh, came across Christ who struck him blind for 3 days and he became a convert changed his name from Saul to Paul and fell in with with Christ so you can take that almost as like what Deckard does and what Kay does because both of their jobs were completely against the replicants in general and taking them down but 
you're introduced to this whole rebirth idea with the sequel and they're not necessarily being a new better race, but they're being literal perfection again, like the Nietzsche Ubermensch idea, but it is weirdly connected with almost like spoilers, like Galatians and Methuselah of, of like Methuselah lived for ages and ages and ages. The one thing Roy wanted to do that it was been taken and stricken away from him that they're kind of almost like, e I guess you'd call them Easter eggs placed into position to kind of uh, expound the idea here that, Really, too, I mean, the fall from, from the heavens and Lucifer's anger over God creating humans and his jealousy it, it can be almost retranslated to how much anger Roy felt. And it's just simply that he wanted more life, fucker. I know. What I find kind of interesting about the sequel to a 40-year-old movie, or just sequels in general, you have the opportunity to make a sequel to a film. Most of the time, what do those sequels end up being? Like, just think of uh, The Force Awakens. It was the same fucking thing over again. Let's do basically the same story again. What about Predator People 2? People like it. But with Blade Runner, it feels like a true sequel. That It's expounding upon the themes that were created in the first one and really going through those themes and like expanding on those ideas as opposed to just retreading the same fucking shit we've covered before. And I find that very refreshing when watching it it was just like wow we're actually kind of going more into this this world and we're working with these ideas because that's what we're really sequelizing here is the ideas not just well there's some kind of some robot cyborg people and uh and there are people who go after them and that's what this is about it's like well not really i mean very little blade running does he do in this film it's more of a his own personal search for his his nature of his reality and his um his version of being a replicant i think it's interesting that we follow a replicant this time as opposed to a human entering into this replicant world that's what i mean it's it feels so much more like a actual sequel like a story that needed to be told as opposed to just retreading the same crap and that's really refreshing for a sequel I think one of the really interesting things, too, is uh, even, I guess, looking at the programming or the nature of whatever these replicants are, he uh, he gets upset enough that he truly begins questioning if he's a replicant. And it's when he fails his PTSD test, which has incredibly interesting scenes of him reading Nabokov, uh, quoting Nabokov poetry, and all of it's just a very bizarre anxiety attack. But similar to the Voight-Kampff test, it's just testing their reactions and seeing how irrational they can get, which is just a weird question. Like, if he fails the test, he's going to be retired. I guess that goes without saying, but they know that they can be consumed by their own emotions, so why is that flaw still in the programming? Is it to make them better hunters? Is it to make them understand their environments more? What it is is, is, is playing God. It's, it's allowing cr these literal creatures to feel like they have rights and to feel like they have souls, and then you strip it away if they become irrational, it's just a beyond evil concept, and it's funny because I said this to you before the show, but for years I always thought that Tyrell was one of the most evil characters to ever exist in a movie and in a movie universe, and I never thought I could ever feel some sort of sympathy for him, but Jared Leto's Neander Wallace is just vile, just one of the most evil things. I mean, you can talk about Star Wars and the Empire all day long, but this man's motives for everything is absolute evil to where now you are left questioning somewhat Tyrell's uh, meaning behind everything because he certainly seemed to have sympathy with Roy. 
he discussed things with him absolutely civilly, but it wasn't so much of a matter of a fact. It was him trying to let him understand this is just the design flaw. But he seemed, and I might be just reading into it or my interpretation, he seemed a little woeful that Roy had to die, that any of his creations had to die, that, you know, obviously he was working on it. What we learn in Blade Runner 2049 is that Rachel was able to procreate a essential, I hate saying cyborg, but a, a non-human entity was able to procreate. So it wasn't like it, it wasn't a, a care to him. He was attempting to figure out how to fix the lifespans. He was trying to let them, again, I'm, this is my, philo- my idea, my philosophy on it. He was trying to give his creations a, a better life and a better existence as to where Wallace it, is just a, an evil slave owner. He's just an evil man bent on domination. Well, and I think when you start talking about Blade Runner and the idea of giving replicants half-lives and all these things, of like giving them only four, maybe seven years to live, um, I think naturally the creator, the original, like Tyrell, he himself doesn't particularly want to give them that. I think he feels this like this need to give them this half-life because, well, we're dabbling in God's domain, that typical thing, but at the base of all creators, they want their creations to continue. Like the reason we we will have a problem with AI in the future is because we will build it and it will start going fucking crazy and bad, but we won't want to kill it because it's our, it's our children. We, I mean, we created this and it's like, it's so hard for man to control what his creations are. It's just like Jeff Goldblum and Jurassic park, the typical, idea of we never stop to think if we should be doing this so but now that we have say but also Blade life Runner, finds a way yeah i mean it's and since we have found this way in blade runner it's going to continue and replicants naturally will start having full long lives because there's no way of stopping as i've said before on the show many times there's no way of stopping progress whether that progress is for good or for bad there's literally no way you can stop it it's going to happen because life will always find a way your weird thing of trying to keep things from happening and stopping them will never work because that's just not the nature of being alive in humanity humanity will always find a way always well you're shown at the beginning of the original blade runner the first blade runner that there were previous nexus models and that they weren't given the fake memories and they weren't given the lifespans and that they became incredibly emotionally unstable trying to deal with what they are just these uh vacant shells that had nothing outside of whatever their servitude was or whatever their creation was like pleasure models or assassins or whatnot so tyrell started implanting and gave them the memories to falsify everything to give them you know uh, complacency so they could have these memories and think they've been doing this for years and, and believe that they have achieved things and goals and to believe that they have a soul and then they just die, that that was the failsafe and it wasn't ever expected. You know, I, I don't know if Roy and his crew were the first to become that sentient aware of what the problem was and try and achieve these answers or that there had been previous beforehand, but it definitely was a hardware problem with what Tyrell had been working on. So creating Rachel, I really feel, was his way of trying to fix this problem, trying to organically reroute things to give uh, a bit more sense and hope to the lives of the replicants, to literally uh, bestow upon them free will and humanhood, as uh, God apparently did when 
if you're a Christian, you know, I say apparently I'm not. I am a, I'm not a Christian, so I don't mean to be absolutely demeaning when I when I say it apparently. But um according to that lore, according to the uh, the old Bible Arena, God bestowed free will onto people and that is what an attempt I think Tyrell was trying to do by creating the Nexus 7, which is Rachel. And I guess she was the only one and what carries forward is this immaculate birth, uh, something that no one thought could ever happen between man and replicant, and just the, the possibilities and capabilities of that entity being able to unite everyone, being able to bring everyone uh, forward into a new world. I mean, you've got Wallace focusing on off-world slavery and turning other planets into shitholes just like where we're at you know it completely just let's move to another planet and make it just as shitty and do all the same things we've done here he's quite the the elon musk style character if you will he doesn't care about the betterment of the human race as a whole he cares about expanding his slave army and being able well to he cares about his toy living in harmony i think is the whole point of the daughter and i think you know you have evil and then you've got the idea of peace and hopefully light at the end of the day will shine and, well, I mean, with Leto's character, yes, he gets to become sort of, sort of God. And I think that differs somewhat from Tyrell, but not too much from Tyrell. Because Tyrell enjoyed, I think, some of the godlike aspect of it, but he also saw some of the flaws in what he was doing. Like, that's part of the reason he would put in the seven-year lifespan. And But then he couldn't help himself. He had to create Rachel because he got off on the power of being able to create some form of life. And I think that's just inevitable with humanity as it goes. And I think Elon Musk is kind of the same way of just his creations will end up his create, even though he's not even a fucking engineer, he's just a fucking money man. He doesn't know shit. But besides the point, but Elon Musk is shooting a rocket into space. Isn't that cool? Yeah, he's also um, forcing employees to go back to build Teslas. So he doesn't give a fuck about anything. What he gives a fuck about is his name. He gives a fuck about how much he can continue on. You take it back to something, and I, it just everything comes back to Rollerball, but you take it back to Rollerball and the corporate wars and the six massive entities left, and you think it sounds like some bafflingly strange science fiction picture, but it's much closer to what's happening right now than anything else, and Elon Musk is just definitely one of those heads. He is the head of Dallas, the energy company. Just picture him that way. And it's not an attempt to villainize the man whatsoever. I don't particularly like him. Hey, he's a prick. Fuck him. Yeah, it's for the same reasons pretty much what you just said. Uh, I just feel he completely is a giant entity based on money, that he is just one of the corporate wars waiting to happen, and it's whatever. We'll get there. I mean, one day we truly will be living in, I feel, I hope, my timelines go like this. We soon will go into Rollerball, and then some maybe Escape from New York stuff happens. Like, that'd be cool. That's all right. And then we move into Blade Runner, and then Blade Runner 2049. And the, the long haul here is I hope the world goes to Zardoz, and uh, everything will be okay at that point. This is my timeline, my speculative timeline of what's going to happen to uh, our world, Earth, in the next 300 years or so. We're talking about Blade Runner, though? Yeah, I'm sorry. Everything goes back to Zardoz, but, but yeah, the whole idea behind it is maybe I'm a little bit more sympathetic than you are. I, I see just the, the two... I mean, you have two very awful, evil characters. I don't think that Tyrell is a good man by any means. No, but I no, just, no, he's not a good man, but he's... I would say he's 
a little bit slightly more moral than Jared Leto, who is just a megalomaniacal fucking psychopath. Yeah, and it's like it, tossing around the word evil is, is very easy, but I truly think that he is the encompassment and the embodiment of absolute evil because all of his gain, at this point he has absolutely everything, so there really isn't any more gain than him achieving some empirical legion of his control. He has absolute control over everything. He can end the lives of these via his programming. He essentially truly is God, and he does not have that control over humans. But if he can outweigh them, then it's all perfect. He doesn't have to worry about things. Well, is it any, any coincidence that Jared Leto, who likes to transform himself for characters, decided to adopt a Jesus look for uh, for Blade Runner? I don't know if you follow him in, in real life, but he's adopted that look in real life. And is someone? Yes, become... he's a cult leader. I know. Yeah, okay, seen, yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to, like... I've seen Camp Mars before. I didn't want to have to throw it out there and say, hey, Jared Leto's a cult leader, and then we talk about it for 20 minutes. I'm glad that... Oh, yeah, so I think he was kind of in his own body here. I think he was free and happy being his weird cult leader, and that's why his character is so goddamn believable and creepy. And, like, Joe Turkle plays Tyrell. And you may recognize him from The Shining. He's got creepy credentials. But his character comes off as this soft old man. You know he has this incredible power, but he's wearing these ridiculous granny glasses, and he's not gorgeous. And, like, Jared Leto has perfect hair, perfect features, even, you know, the beard being unkempt. He's a very good-looking man. And you've got, yeah, like that Cesare Borgia Jesus imagery behind everything as to where Joe Turkle was more of a... I don't want to call him compassionate because it conveys such a wrong meaning behind things, but he looked like some compassionate old man you would see just playing chess, and that's even he a, a like catch a father, with his character. Which is essentially what he is. Yeah. yeah, That's, He's, that's the best uh, way to put it. And his children have been acting bad, and we have to put down some of these children. But I have my good daughter, Rachel, here. The other ones were mistakes, but I think I perfected my weird AI godlike status with this one. Well, see, Maybe this one's the way. Mistakes because he is so sympathetic with Roy. He truly shows him emotion and tells him. And Roy know? goes up and kills God. Well, that's kind of what's necessary sometimes, though. I mean, yes. sometimes you have to kill God, and that's the only way for things to, to get better. And not again, we keep bringing him up. It's not like the Nietzsche aspect of God's dead and we killed him. No, like fucking kill God. Like, you have to kill the complete idea of God. You have to erase it. And at this point, Roy knows there's no going back. Like, he just got his absolution. He's going to die within a few days. Fuck you. And that's that's what he does. I mean, you have in that uh, direct the director's cut, he clearly says, I want more life, fucker. But I thought almost more beautiful in the, the standard version of theatrical release, he says, I want more life, father. Which gives a whole different tone and feeling to What's going on inside of him? I mean, just imagine not none none of nothing you know being real. Imagine how no, it doesn't matter how old you are, but just everything a fucking lie, and you realize that. It, it you I couldn't understand the heartache outside of well, let's go kill God because that seems sensible at that point. You've been lied to about everything. Your only option is kill God. Well, okay, this is something I've always said for years and years and years, and. It's applicable into politics currently and where your political allegiance lies somewhat. Look at your parents. Do you think your parents, like George W. Bush would always talk about his daddy, his how great his daddy George Sr. was. My daddy always told me this. My daddy was, if you are still quoting your daddy and you think your father is some sort of superhero, 
you're in the wrong. At a certain point in your life, you have to kill your parents. You have to stop the idolatry of your parents. There's a point in your life where everyone should realize your parents are just as stupid and as fucked up as they are. And it is your job to be better than what they were, not to emulate what they were, not to continue on who they were, to be better than what they were. And if you still are trying to emulate who your parents were, you're in the wrong. You've got to get away from that. You've got to be better than what your parents were, not just like sit there and suck them off like some sort of goddamn idol. Well, the replicants can't do that, and I think that's some of their problems. They can look and see the issues, and obviously Roy Batty did, but they have, when they became aware, when the Nexus Sixes especially became aware, uh, that hopelessness, what do you do? You either become angry or you absolutely give up, and those that became angry fought back as beautifully as they could. And it's, it's tragic. I mean, it's one of those things. They killed a great deal of humans, so now you have to weigh out but well, what matters more, this organic human life or these things that were created in a lab? And it's, again, drawing back to the, well, all lives matter. But why the fuck would you give them the idea that they matter if they don't? Why are you giving them this false promise and this concept that they matter? And apparently, when Tyrell dies, they mass produce uh, the Nexus 8 line. And that does not have an age limit and we're introduced right off the bat in Blade Runner 2049 to a Nexus 8 uh, and it's you know it's a it's a beautiful scene apparently the scene was scripted for Blade Runner and it was going to be how we were initially introduced to Deckard and Scott decided to go ahead and use the noodle scene which I love I think that's a really great way to show you how sardonic this guy is and again I said it earlier he didn't want the fucking job he he was he had he was retired from retiring people and then you're introduced to Kay with such a chaotic, awful scene, and you're established right then and there that he also is a replicant. And I thought that back and forth was, was pretty perfect, where he says something to the effect of, you know, how does it feel to be killing your own kind? My kind doesn't run. That even between them, there is a level of difference. It's, you know, it's like capitalism, that the poor people are poor. It's their fault for being poor. You know, you're a janitor, you should have just gone to college and done it this way. That even the replicants now, because of human touch, feel a, a level of indifference. So, at its core, all, all humanity is, is pretty evil. I mean, it's, it's taken all of these concepts, and I mean, you can even take it into something like owning a cat. You've taken some wild creature and domesticated it and forced it to live inside your house forever, and it doesn't get to use any of its skills or freedom or whatever. I mean, I... Uh, I have cats i love cats i'm not trying to make this like an attack to cat owners i guess i should have said parakeets or something uh, <laughs> but it, it just i'm trying to paint a picture to let things accentuate a little bit different who has the right to take this life and that's what you've done is given it absolution and free will but it's all a lie and it's something like people are com completely breaking down and so upset over monuments well you know how are we going to recognize history these monuments are all gone. How are we going to remember things? I can't believe they're going to take the flag from the uh, rebel flag out of Alabama or Arkansas or whatever A state. Mississippi. Mississippi. Man, I was off. I can't believe they're going to take the rebel flag out of the Mississippi. It's part of our culture. Part of your culture that started in the 1960s, you mean? Part of your culture that was literally all these flags and these monuments started getting built in the 50s and 60s when you were trying to repress the rights and freedom of people that seemed seemingly are okay to live if they're working for you. 
well, let's not say working, are enslaved by you, then suddenly there's some value to them. But outside of that, you have to use uh, scare tactics and hatred and xenophobia so they don't actually have the same existence and freedoms you have. So maybe that's a better picture I can paint to how I feel the replicants are given. Well, you know? the, the powers that be, the people who perceive to have some sort of power, even when you don't, you have no power, you're just the first underling of the actual power structure. Well, I need to feel superior to someone or something, so you're below me. You're worse than me. You're just a peon like everybody else, asshole. I don't know why you like... Well, no, this whole... It, it's class, and I don't want to be a class reductionist because there is a lot of problems with other things, but point being, we're all the same fucking dirt class that they think we are. There is the 1% and the rest. Stop shitting on people who are essentially you. You're never going to be part of the 1%. You're just some bootlegger for the 1%. Stop worrying about, like, fight the 1%. Stop fighting the people who are still in your class structure. You're like... But no, there's there's hierarchy in our class. No, there isn't. It's one percent and everyone else. Stop all that infighting shit and go like go up against the one percent. Well, that's the back and forth between Batista and Gosling at the very beginning of the movie, and that's pretty much what he tells him. And you know, Gosling's retort is just bootlicking. My kind doesn't run. And I was kind of bringing this up at the beginning of the show. I guess, and this is what baffles me with the Nexus 9s, is they're completely complacent knowing their memories are fake. It is established that K. Joe knows his memories aren't real, but he still has them. So they still insist upon adding this false hope, adding this fake soul into the programming of these things, knowing that they're completely complacent just existing within our society. Like, they're given this false gift. You can live... But it's all bullshit, and you know it right off the bat. And for some reason, that's what has kept them contained. But you see throughout both examples of the Nexus 9 and Blade Runner 2049 that there definitely are some faults. You've got the really great scene with uh, Love and Robin Wright, um, Madame, where she grabs her fucking hand and breaks the glass in it. And, you know, Robin Wright's uh, such a tough bitch in this scene. It's a great, wonderful performance. I, I really, really enjoyed her character in this uh, in Blade Runner 2049. But when it comes down to her killing her, she you know says something really sarcastic, like a cool Nord detective, like, do what you gotta do. And she slices her up, but love cries. And I don't know if we're insinuating that she's crying because this sucks that she has to do it, or she actually feels bad about having to take this life. But what she says, I think, is the most interesting thing, is I'll just tell Wallace that you tried to come at me, and I had to defend myself. That they're able to lie, they're able to manipulate. They literally are given absolute free will, but are still enslaved. yeah. They have free will now, so they are human. But they're enslaved. Despite what the their concept. chemical makeup is, they are human. That all of that is almost enslavement. Like they're given all of these ideas, but they're also uh, they know none of it's real. They're completely adequately okay with being what they are. But you get you know obviously you can see even with Kay when he goes and finds out that the memory was organic and real, how upset he gets. Then he fails his next test because of that, because all they want is this one monotone no reaction. And that goes back to the voice comp test. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. 
Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. You're watching television. Suddenly you realize there's a wasp crawling on your arm. I'd kill it. You're reading a magazine. You come across a full-page nude photo of a girl. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Mr. Deckard. Just answer the questions, please. You show it to your husband. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within. I wouldn't let him. I should be enough for him. that there's a part of you that's missing interlinked interlinked within you're watching a stage play a banquet is in progress the guests are enjoying an appetizer of do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing interlinked interlinked within a boiled dog interlinked. do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing interlinked interlinked within literal use was to confuse and stir and invoke some sort of emotional response from the replicant so they would fail. So you would see, you know, well, they've gotten really confused. And that's, again, that's one of my favorite scenes with Blade Runner is that that very first sequence with Leon, um, Brian, and I can't... James. Brian James. I wanted to say Brian Jones, but the great Brian James. And he just gets more and more frustrated. You know, what do you mean a tortoise? Uh, it's crawling towards you. The whole experience is to manipulate the idea that They've been given free will, they've been given these memories, but they don't know how to handle them. They don't know how to compose them. They don't know what to do with them. And what's the point of all this outside of utter enslavement, utter slavery? I mean, it's just evil. It's just purely evil to give this false sense of hope and then say, you can't have it, but wouldn't it be pretty to think so? Yeah, but I think that's where we're headed towards at the end of 2049 is with the replicant resistance uh, uprising coming, that there will be, I mean, there's going to be some hard times ahead, but that replicants will eventually get some sort of civil rights and they are able to, like, procreate at this point and they are human and it might take some time, but eventually there will be a complete and utter melding of replicant and human More cultures, human than human. not just a person. I mean, it just is all more human than human. It's, I think, a divine concept that comes from a lot of different places, but at its core really does come back to almost a Judaic sort of rebirth idea of, you know, Christ descending into hell and then ascending into heaven and then everything being somewhat perfect. So, I mean, in one essence, I guess you could say that Deckard descended into hell and Kay is the, you know, Christ figure that, set everyone free you know his death literally let everyone's sins kind of be washed away that Deckard quote-unquote gets to die and now finally gets to see his daughter and the revolution can happen uh because I mean I don't know how you take it but I figured the whole Galatian syndrome thing was just a ruse to keep her locked up her entire life so she wouldn't have been found I I have no idea more than likely yeah I mean it's a possibility uh, from what I feel at the end of the movie you know they're gonna go out and change the world for the better and and make 
the world a, a harmonious place. I mean, obviously, it's not just down to replicants are the problem. It, it's a shithole. I mean, he still lives, Kay lives in L.A., and it's covered in dust and debris, and it's unlivable. He goes to take a shower, and it's, what, two seconds of 99.9% .9 clean water? There is no existence, even uh, entertainment and love and human nature. What if a human had this ex I mean, it's not what if. I think the concept that you're being shown is, especially with, like, the joy ro uh, holograms, no one really has interaction anymore. No one sits with each other. No one does anything. I mean, uh, you know, the sex workers are all synthetics. Nothing exists anymore. Nothing is human interaction. It's all computer-based. It's all synthetic-based. It's all replicant-based. You're alone. You're just completely alone. Something has to change. Something has to uh, bring people together, and I guess that's the representation of K dies, pretty much uh, washing away everyone's sins, and then Deckard and his daughter get to go on and kickstart, I don't know, love? <laughs> the hippie movement in 2050? Well, I wouldn't call it love so much as just, like, it's it's kind of a unification of replicant and human, like, kind of the base idea of this future revolution that's coming of, like, repli replicants as people, too. I mean, that's basically where we're going with this. I mean, I guess you have what uh, Edward James almost says to Deckard at the end of Blade Runner. It's a shame she won't live, but does anybody? It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, who cares that a replicant? I mean, a replicant lives and dies, even if it is born with fake memories. How are those memories fake when, A, they, some of them are people's memories, and, B, they're still memories? They came from something. They came from somewhere, and we all yeah. die. Replicant, human, we all share the same death. Even machine, everything has a lifespan, and everything well, shares okay. that. We all have the same memories like and especially as culture moves along everybody almost everyone has the memory of jurassic park it might be a different memory it might be a different memory of when you saw it but we all have the memory so like S steven spielberg is creating memories for us as well this is no different than like creating a memory for a replicant well, it's like the whole idea of the Mandela effect of people remembering things that just completely didn't exist or knowing their entire lives something else happened. Most, you know, like, say, Nelson Mandela died in the 1980s and just a few years ago. Uh, the Berenstain Bears, the Berenstain Bears, that Sinbad movie that people swear exists. It's just this whole concept of what's true and what's false. Who is to say, I mean, if you have this memory, then you have a memory. You might be misinterpreting it, and it might be imposed by other people's thoughts and it might be even culturally imposed by you know the masses or things you've seen on television or because you read an article about it now the thoughts in your head but still it's a memory it's organic it's been created and in the sense and the technology of whatever we're dealing with in Blade Runner these memories aren't just transplanted they're given away I mean it's I, I don't know if the person has to be dead or they're stolen but it's just that whole idea you have this life now I mean, you see with Kay, it's from a boy's perspective as to where this memory happened to a little girl, but it still happened to him at some point, even though he's not really there. It's, it's, it's too much taking and not enough giving. You expect them to not feel. You expect the synthetics. You expect the replicants to not 
be upset about it. And that's really what Blade Runner, that's what happens. I mean, it's not the fact that Roy wants life. It's that he wants answers. He wants to know what the whole point was. Why would you lie to us? Wouldn't it have been better to just let us know we were slaves? And that's echoed by almost every character. Do you know what fear is like? Do you know what it's like to live as a slave? Do you know? And all of them just want answers. Everyone in Blade Runner. By the time you get to Blade Runner 2049, it's more hopeless. I think it's it's gone past the point of needing answers to radicalism needs to be bestowed or instowed right now. Something has to be done to change what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, I mean... What else can you say about fucking Blade Runner? It was a really cool scene when uh, Daryl Hannah did all that stuff. She gets shot and she throws that crazy robot fit thing. That was crazy. Uh, Harrison Ford had that narration sucks. I mean, is that what you expected from us on a Blade Runner show to sit here and talk about actual little stupid nonsense from the fandom? Fuck that. We talk about philosophy on this show. And even the really cool scenes I can bring up are all heavily based on philosophy. I mean, when you find the eyes, when Roy and uh, Brian James' character, Leon, go and they, they find... Uh, who played that? It was James Hong. They find James Hong, who is the geneticist that creates the eyes. And it's almost a beautiful sentiment where he says, you know, I'm in you. I, I created your eyes. I'm, I'm a part of this. And no matter how cool it is, you know, he sticks his hand into the, the, the Freon or whatever the hell it is and starts putting the eyeballs on James Hong's back. It's disgusting, and it's cool, but it still invokes such a... It's actually the fiery The Angels Fell scene, <clears throat> which is one of the best quotes of the goddamn movie. It just shows you... <laughs> I mean, and everyone they come in touch with dies, but it just shows you that it's the quest literally for fire. They have to know. It's a shame that this happens, but they have to know. And also, it makes sense killing everyone that genetically engineers them. I mean... Why would they want other replicants to go through what they've gone through? Roy's actions by killing God and his attempt was to almost end his own kind, just to save them from what he had to feel. Yeah, but if you destroy that end of it, and you like, well, let's get apocalyptic with it. Let's, I mean, let's just kill all the replicants and just kill this whole thing because I don't want, but like, there, when you get to 2049, there's this hope that maybe we don't have to just wipe replicants off the face and maybe we can treat them as people. So I think there's ultimately a story of hope that's come out of this all. Well, I, I feel that that was kind of Roy's idea behind things that, you know, he killed. Burn it all down? Yeah, burn it all down because I had a bad day and there's no hope for tomorrow. There's no. And burning it all down solves nothing. It never does. It just, it overcomplicates things. It's. You have to strive towards the other end of that because burning it down, again, just makes you look like a psychopath. Well, I think for his extent, it was a, a bit more Christ-like that he thought killing everyone. I mean, this isn't in the Bible. Christ didn't do this. I'm uh, making a metaphor. You know, Christ died for everyone's sin and absolution, and then everyone gets a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? That's how that whole thing works. So Roy dies and takes everyone out with him and takes out all the guys that can create and can make more Nexus models. In, in his philosophy, he's saving his people from having to go through that torture, from having to become aware. But in a complete agreement with you, you burn it all down. All that's going to do is start... That fire is going to go <sighs> Birth is always painful, my friend. Well, I mean, look exactly... Even just following this philosophy, so Roy goes out of his way 
to destroy absolutely everything. And somebody immediately steps in afterward and takes that up because of the, the trauma, because of all of the issues. I mean, God, it's even like Child's Play 2. The doll is under investigation for fucking killing a bunch of people. So, yeah, let's just bring it back. Let's just, that sounds right. Let's just completely bring back the doll and restore it perfectly and see what happens. And then we have Child's Play 2, uh, a great performance from Garrett Graham. Weird reference. <laughs> uh, God, did we just end a Blade Runner show with a Child's Play 2 Garrett Graham joke? Fuck. I'm good. I think we did. I am good at, it's not six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's 12 degrees of Garrett Graham. So with that, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. We'll see you next week. Time to die. is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? 
Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked.